I got fired and then I moved here to New York and I said, okay, I'm going to start this business and I've been, you know, winging it ever since the last seven years. But the interesting thing about, you know, having a career like photography that I'm so grateful for that I think a lot of people covet creative careers and it is such a a blessing and a, a privilege is that people assume that it's my passion, speaking of passions. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's it's something that I really enjoy that allowed me the opportunity to have my own business. You're listening to Chats with Kat, where I catch up with my fellow millennials every week to share their journey of self-actualization, overcoming fear, and paving the way for a soul's purpose to shine through. Let's start that right here right now. My mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive, and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. That is a quote by Maya Angelou. Hi, everybody. I hope you're all doing great. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. I'm so excited that you're here right now. In this week's episode, I am chatting with multimedia artist and community facilitator, Seher Sekander. I met Seher at the wing, and she is just an absolute ray of sunshine. And she is just such a thoughtful person. When she's around, I, I don't know, I just feel kind of at ease. I feel like she knows what she's talking about. And as I'm sure you will notice within a few moments, she's very well-spoken and, you know, she's just a G. Sahar's work is rooted in healing and social change and it's inextricable link to art, media, and culture. Her purpose is to create potent and inspiring medicine to help elevate the way that we all exist as humans. And throughout our conversation, Sahar shares how she worked her way into becoming one of the go-to concert photographers out in the Bay Area of California where she grew up, what prompted her to move all the way across the country and lay down roots here in New York City, acknowledging and overcoming her depression and so much more. I suggest as always, that if there's anything shared in this episode that you truly think can help somebody else, make sure to share it, okay? Without any further delay, here is my chat with Sahar. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Chats with Kat. I am here with Sahar. Hello. Thank you for chatting with me tonight. Thanks for chatting with me, Kat. Mm. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if I ever told you, but the first time that I saw you, we were at... Th- <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Well, the first time I saw you from a distance and when I heard you speak, I was like, hmm, I'm going to talk to her. Aww. I'm going to see her somewhere and I'm going to talk to her. But that. you were at the Cleo Wade event and you asked a question and your question, I don't remember what it was, but it was really good. And I was like, mm. and then yeah. I met you at the Women of Color event. And yep. I was like, oh my God, she's amazing. Oh my God. I felt like that about you when I saw you at the Women of Color event. That's so yeah. cool. So I'm so happy that we're here. So can you introduce yourself? Because you have a lot of amazing things going on. So I'm going to let you do that part. Oh my God. <laughs> I, quite honestly, I'm not even prepared. I was like, should I prepare or... Because that's like a daunting task in and of itself. Or should I go with the flow? And naturally, I'm going with the flow. So yes. all the nerves that go with it. Um introduce myself i from like what aspect like my work or whatever, anything whatever anything? you want yeah okay. we'll get into your work later anyway okay. so um 
I am a child of Pakistani immigrants. So I was first born in the U.S. and I have a younger brother that's five years younger than me. And he's he's sleeping in my bed right now. He's, <laughs> he's visiting. Oh, yay. Yeah, I love him. Um, and that's totally about, and about me, too, because I love him so much. Um, and let's see. I was born in the Bay Area, California. And then I grew up between the East and West Coast, kind of like back and forth. And then I cumulatively ended up spending most of my time in the Bay. I um, went to college in Philly. I really love Philly. Um, and then went back to the Bay and then ended up here in New York seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really crazy how the time flies by. <laughs> um, crazy. And then I started marketing in school. I worked in corporate marketing for four years, and it's such a bugged out thing because I had like a billion internships. I had like four, di- I had an internship every year, like four different internships, but I've only had one nine to five after graduating ever in life so weird and then immediately after that I became a freelance photographer and I I moved here seven years ago to pursue that more seriously and so that's been kind of the headline of what my work journey has been thus far but the last few years I've been exploring expanding into my other skill sets and interests and really diving in more deeply into my work from the standpoint of um, life purpose, you know, and life calling. And it's been a really um, deep, drawn out journey that's required a lot of patience for me. I've picked up a lot of themes along the way, um, but it's still a process to continue. It's a, it's a, been a long-term process to continue to still what is my work going to be beyond photography? What are those things? I have a lot of different interests. Um, and what exactly does it look like? I see myself moving into a very interdisciplinary space. So I also write. I'm really, really into healing work, energy, um, things like that, and um, social change. And weaving all those different things together, art, media, culture, healing, social impact, weaving them together in just a a really creative, intuitive, organic, yet still like fresh and exciting, compelling way. And so it's a kind of a tall order, you know, yeah. and it's like, I want to know now what my life purpose is and exactly what I want to do. And it's just, it's been a very humbling process. It's been about three years into that process so far. So that's, that's where I am. It's, it's kind of been challenging for me of late to answer that. I know you didn't ask it explicitly, but I feel like it's always semi baked into, you know, an intro yeah. of like the, what do you do question? Mm-hmm. And I've heard so many people be like, you know, talk about how they hate that question. And I was like, whatever, you know, it's just like a gateway into talk about other things. Like I don't necessarily mind it, but now I get anxiety of it. Cause it's like, I don't have a clear answer for people anymore. And then when I try to explain what I'm doing, a lot of people glaze over and they'll be like, yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not concrete enough exactly. for them. Yeah. Well, so let's backtrack a bit. Yeah. So I read that you went to Wharton, right? (laughs) Right. Which makes me even more of a weirdo when you add all this stuff together, but I kind of love it. Okay. Yes. I love it too. It just like adds way more to the story and everything. Well, so you studied corporate marketing, right? Um, I studied, um, technically it's the business school, so it is a business degree, but technically it's called, um, an economics degree, Mm -hmm. but I only really took a couple econ courses, so it's weird. Hmm. But, um, yeah, I studied, business with a concentration in marketing there and then 
yes, went into corporate marketing, email marketing to be exact, fucking killed my soul. <laughs> Can talk about that. I have so many stories. Oh my gosh, please. <laughs> okay, so for a lot of people, you know, like the idea is, you know, you're going to go to great school, you're going to get this degree, and then you're going to jump into corporate America, get your benefits, get the accolades, you know, be able to say when what exactly it is that you do when people ask you and like have your head held high because you don't, totally. like everybody knows the name of that whatever it is that you're working that corporation the firm whatever that's the dream but i'm beginning to realize Mm -hmm. that a lot of people go into it especially young people nowadays they go into it and they feel like their souls are being sucked out of their bodies and they quit and they leave it behind and they go on the quest of trying to figure out what it is that their soul's purpose is their Mm. passion everything and that you know that kind of puts them in a spiral because they just put in all these years into like you know getting this degree and everything yeah, they they go into spiral because they're trying to figure out what it is that they were actually meant to do. And then they realize that they didn't necessarily waste years, but they wish that they would have started differently. So with that said, what ultimately led you to make the decision to embark on the journey of trying to figure it out for yourself and making sense of it all in being rooted in your life's calling? Well... So is it okay if I answer this in a roundabout way? Because that's yeah. how I tend to do a lot of things. Do it. Do it however you <laughs> I feel want like to. everything's related. Um, so in that way, um, I do think my journey into, you know, why I even ended up at that corporate job is is part of it. I Like I said, my parents were Pakistani Im- are Pakistani immigrants. And um, I was raised in a really, like, you know, strict traditional family. And they were like, you can only do the holy trifecta of, you know, careers which are you know being a doctor a lawyer or engineer of some sort and then the you know the stepchild was business like if you don't want to do this fine you can do business you know and then I was supposed to do finance like Wharton's known for finance my dad was hella pissed at me and I did marketing so that I mean and before that it was like I'm from the Bay Area so my mom went back to school um to get um a college degree in the U.S. and think in um Pakistan it's more on um the British system. So the college degrees, like the equivalencies don't match up. So she got like an American degree and she did programming for a while. And she was like, you know, it was right around the tech boom or whatever. And she was like, yeah, do computer science, you know, and then get an MBA and then become like a tech CEO. Um, and so I was a computer science major for a while. So I, my parents really didn't give me any leeway to have dreams. To <laughs> to yeah. Be yeah, I hear you. Um, and it was coming from a place of love and, you know, wanting to survive. My family had a lot of financial hardships growing up <clears throat> and uh, they, d- you know, they didn't want the same for their child and in, in, in their mind to really set me up for success and stability was to <clears throat> allow me to have um, tangible skills Yeah, s- that I could easily translate into a job. And, um, so that's why I started out um, in computer science. And I was like, I can't be a programmer, even though I was pretty good at it. I was just like, I can't be in front of a desk all the time. So I went into marketing. And it was like, I was just going through the motions. Like the idea was that I'm going to ascend in, in the marketing world and then, you know, 
become like a CMO or like take these learnings and start my own business. I actually took two different entrepreneurship classes in college. I did one at Wharton and one at the Graduate School of Education um, at Penn, which was um, a social and educational entrepreneurship course. So it was really cool to look at it from that perspective too. And for the longest, I, um, I wanted to start my own business. My dad actually, part of why we moved to Cambridge for a little while, um, right next to Boston, was because he was getting um, an MBA at MIT. And so I was like six years old and I would ask my dad like, so what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, and he's like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur and this is what, you know, having your own company is. And I was like, that's so cool. You know, and he was studying marketing and finance at the Sloan School there. And um, I think that's the first time I heard about marketing. And so it just seeded this thing in me of like, oh, having my own business would be cool. And when people in college would ask me, what do you want to do, you know, longer term, where do you want to take your career? I would, you know, be like, I want to start my own business, but I don't know in what. But when I know, I'll just know. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, the idea was like, okay, since I'm kind of relegated to doing marketing, I'll learn the ropes and then I'll start my own like marketing and design firm or something. Because I still felt that I was required to remain within the, the narrow space that my family had carved out of me. You know, I didn't know... I wasn't prepared to disobey them, (laughs) you know, um, it was scary, you know, like my, my parents and my family, including myself were like pretty intense. So it's not like they would be like, okay, fine. You know, it was not going to be like that. Um, but yeah, I hate, I really hated my job and, um, I just was going through the motions, even like when I, um, the first day before I started that job, it was at Williams Sonoma. My mom was like, are you excited? And I was like, no, it's just a paycheck. Like that's how I felt from jump. I wanted to do the creative side of marketing. I wanted to work in music or entertainment or publishing. And that was all in New York. And my parents were like, so this is, this is why I'm telling the story that all my family stuff and all this is a function of me stepping into myself. They were like, you can't live on your own until you get married. Therefore you have to come back to the Bay and find whatever you can find here. And so all the, you know, there were barely any creative marketing jobs there. And at that entry level, they were paying nothing. And so I went for the job that paid me the most and it ended up being in marketing analytics, which I didn't want to do. And so I was in spreadsheets doing email marketing and click through rates and all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I was good at it, but I hated it. Um, and so I think as time went on, I think two years into the four years that I was there, I just, I felt so discontent and, I was like, two years have passed and there's nothing that I'm proud of, right? You know, that I can say that I'm excited about or proud of in my life. And that blows. And so um, I just a, did a kind of a mental exercise with myself that I made up and um, thought about the different things that I might want to do. Um just even to be happier, you know, even as hobbies. And I had so many different interests I had. Um, you know, over the years from my childhood through my teens, I had, you know, done singing and dancing and acting and, you know, various like visual art stuff and yeah, all kinds of things. And I had never played with photography. So that was kind of on my list too. And so I was like, I don't know how to pick the one that's my life path. I don't, I have had a lot of friends for a long time. And at that point too, that are musicians. And then order to be a musician and have some semblance of success, you have to be kind of obsessed with it. And I had, I was surrounded by all these people that were obsessed with what they did. And I was like, I want to be <laughs> obsessed with something. Yeah. And I would think about all these things that were my interests. And I'm like, they're really cool, but I, 
I'm not feeling a fire. And so I was like, how do I pick the thing, the thing? And, um, I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't have a passion. Um, and, and maybe I don't have to pick the perfect thing cause that's too much pressure, you know? So maybe I just pick one thing and play with it and, you know, see how it feels, go with the flow. And then I move on to the next and the next and the next. And so, um, I think I picked up like graphic design again and I made my first like cover art for someone, which was really cool. And then I, um, picked up acting again and did a couple, um, short, like short plays. And I also did the vagina monologues, which was really cathartic. And then, um, I took voice lessons for a while. I revisited singing and then I finally, uh, picked up photography. I was like, you know what? I want to see, you know, if I'm good at this. And it wasn't, it was loosely with an intention, like maybe I can make these things a career, but just really just engaging, you know, any sort of joy through, you know, doing something. Cause and I was all this time you still had my nine, to, job. my nine to five. This okay. is two years into it that I had went through this like mm-hmm. line of inquiry. Mm-hmm. So I picked up photography and I just started shooting shows. I really liked low light photography. Um, and I, like I said, I was really into music and I had friends that were musicians. And so put low light and music together, you have live concerts. And so I started shooting those and really quickly people liked what I was doing, even though, and I think that's an important point too. I'm really self-critical. And if people hadn't been really enthusiastic about my work, I'd been like, whatever, I suck at this onto the next thing. But people were really, really supportive. So I, I stuck with it and very quickly I was like, you know what, I think that this is something that I could make into a career. Um, and so I stuck at my job for a couple other years. Um, the idea was to save money and quit saving money. Working with money is something I'm still working on. So I didn't quite get there. I ended up getting fired, which is its own story. Um, and a really powerful, um, experience that I had. So I got fired and then I moved here to New York and I said, okay, I'm going to start this business. And I've been, you know, winging it ever since the last seven years. But the interesting thing about, you know, having a career like photography that I'm so grateful for that I think a lot of people covet creative careers and it is such a a blessing and a a privilege is that people assume that it's my passion. Speaking of passions. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's, it's something that I really enjoy that allowed me the opportunity to have my own business, Exactly. which is something, which is what I'm more passionate about. And so I have a lot of different interests. And so now I've been exploring what that could look like, but to more explicitly answer your question, it's a bit more challenging, you know, what led me onto this path of purpose, but you know, I moved out into my own place when I lived in the Bay Area. They were like, you can't live on your own until you get married, my parents. And so that was its own journey. And so there was a, you know, it, and it was really intense. I was getting kicked out of my house at one point. Um, and then, you know, I, I kind of uh, was able to, I'm so grateful for before it actually went down that I got kicked out, reconcile with my father and get his blessing. Um so I took, you know, these, and then before I was moving to New York, you know, they, my parents were in denial about it. They're like, we don't, what, what are you talking about? And I had to really gradually individuate. I had my own apartment in San Francisco. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to do this photo thing and I'm going to move to New York. And there was a lot of resistance along the way. And as, and, and really some of the hardest, saddest, gut wrenching moments of my life, but those were 
necessary to push myself and, you know, push the kind of the bounds of which my parents foresaw operating in within their, with their child to really step into a space where I finally probably in my mid twenties, late twenties started entering a space to be like, now that I've kind of individuated from my families and our cultural norms and traditions enough, now I can, whoa, shit, I can finally dream about what it is I want. Now the whole wide world is open in front of me and I'm damn near 30, but that's okay. (laughs) You know, and that's when I really started um, heading down that path and I went into photography, but then, you know, some years into that, realized that that wasn't feeling like enough. And that's when a few years ago I stepped into a line of inquiry of like, do I need to stop doing photography or do I need to do something in addition to it? Am I depressed? I'd been depressed for like, 10 years. Um, and it's still something that I have to manage actively. So I wasn't sure what was what. And I came to the conclusion flashing back to the two years into the day job where I was trying to discover my purpose and I couldn't think of it in a thing. So I thought back to times in my life where I felt passionate about, uh, things and seeing if I could draw a thread and the themes that I found and I, found myself extracting for times when I was like in student leadership or things like that in high school and college. And I found that my passions were actually in values that could be applied to a myriad of actual functions or skills. So my values being, um, you know, being passionate about community, being passionate about personal growth and, and bringing the community along for those lessons and sharing in that communing over that, um, in multiculturalism, in, in, social change from the lens of multiculturalism and really striving for equality. And as I've grown older over the last almost 10 years, I was in therapy for seven years up until the top of last year. And I've been working regularly with an energy worker weekly for the last three. And as healing has revolutionized my life, it kind of goes into the personal development bucket healing you know, is, is one of my passions now. So I was like, if any, if these passions, community building, personal growth, uh, justice are values present in my work, there's a lot of different stuff I can do. I care about creativity in general, but in a lot of different ways, if, mm-hmm. so long as that's in my work. Mm-hmm. So a few years ago, I was like, okay, photography could or could not stick around. I'm going to play with that, you know, and just play it by ear. But I do know at the very least I need to start adding in and layering in other, um, other aspects to my work. And what does that look like is something that I've identified, like I said, to a degree and I'm continuing to uncover. Mm -hmm. And how did you begin to learn about that side of yourself? And how did you bring that to life in terms of things that you could provide for others because these are things that you're interested in so how did you even go about thinking well if this is something that I'm interested in how could I provide this as something that could heal somebody else uh are you talking about my interest in healing and things like that yeah, or your interest in healing in particular hmm I feel like ever, ever since I was really, really young, like I can't even remember at at the very least since teenage years, I, I really care. I was always a really like thoughtful, um, person from a standpoint, like uh, someone in my thoughts a lot and thinking about things and analyzing things and inevitably me being one of those things, thinking about myself and then thinking about 
society and other people and psychology and sociology and those kind of things before I'd even formally study them. My mom was always really into psychology. And so I think it's just a part of like woven into my fabric of who I am about what it, what is it, what is the nature of existence of existing within a human body and then existing as a human body in relation to other humans and, and, so meaning, you know, from psychology to then sociology and then group psychology dynamics, I think it's just, and then inevitably when you start thinking about those things, you think about um, what are the motivators behind that? What are the things that are impacting, you know, us within and in between with each other? And inevitably there are things that challenge us as it's part of the human condition and so then how do we grow and how do we heal that it's just it's always been a point of curiosity for me it's always been a point of focus for me um, I don't think it was a choice and so I think what maybe changed is as I went into therapy and as I went into learning about energy work I learned qigong about six years ago which is kind of like tai chi it's um, a different a series of various um forms based on breath and movement and sound and visualization and things like that. And so as I started delving into these different modalities, whether it was, um, you know, psychotherapy or Qigong or various forms of energy work and just tapping into my energetic sensitivity and making up my own tools or learning tools that don't really have a name for my energy worker, I, I have developed quite a robust toolkit, but not only just a toolkit for the sake of here's a bunch of shit I can do, but here's a bunch of shit that I can do and have done and has changed my life over and over and over again for almost a decade as I continue to grow into um, learning about, you know, just different modalities in different ways. And as I continue to deepen into my internal world, and I think in being a very kind of in intellectual analytical analytical person one probably my greatest gift through therapy that was a thread there because my therapist was very into the body mind connection and energy work is all about the body mind connection is the importance of the intuition the importance of transcending the mind the importance of the intelligence of the body um and so i think that yeah, I, uh, I think why I bring that up is to say that now I've, over the last five plus years as I've been diving into this stuff deeper, I'm not only opening in, up into myself and like I historically did with my analytical mind, parsing this apart, but I'm tapping into my other intelligences to learn myself more and to learn other humans more and, and to learn the why and the how more and I, it's just, I want people to be well. I, that's why I'm passionate about it. Like I said, it's baked into who I am, but why, why do I want to share this? I want us to be well. And when I experience a healing or a growth or some sort of transcendence or level up, I'm excited as fuck. I'm super excited. And it's like when you get really, that's passion, right? It's like, I want to scream it from the rooftops and be like, oh my gosh, right? But then with that also comes the humility of there are so many different paths when it comes to healing or anything else and to not become dogmatic about it and to not become preachy about it. Um, and to know when is and when is not the time to bring up stuff or share stuff. 
you know, or give advice. Like one big thing I learned in therapy is like unsolicited advice is not the jam. And it's something we do a lot as a culture, a lot. And as I've learned to really reel back and doing that, um, to other people, I've become more sensitized to noticing when other people just do it to me or to others. And it's like, it's a little gross. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, And we always carry that like the, the, the criticisms and, you know, all of that ad- advice that we didn't ask for. It, yeah. We carry it wherever we go. And unfortunately, many of us don't really know how to rid of that. So mm. it kind of permeates into how we perceive ourselves and what we project and all of that. So I think it's really important that um, what you're doing is essentially trying to provide a toolkit for other people to just dive into themselves and make sense of who they are because you've done it. You know, mm-hmm. and you empathize with the journey that we are all essentially trying to go on. Although I do feel sometimes like a lot of people don't even know that there is some uncovering that they have to do. They just carry mm. this heaviness and they don't really know what it is because they think they're doing what they're supposed to do. Yep. You know, so how does one even accept the fact that it is something else that they have <laughs> to look for, you know? Yeah. That's dope. That's a fucking rad question. I'm so glad that you asked it. Um, So in being someone that's always been really, really, um, you know, thoughtful, analytical and self-aware even, you know, it was, again, since I was a teenager, one of the most consistent compliments I'd received from age peers and from adults, just all kinds of people. You're really insightful, really self-aware. You can, you know, articulate things really well. You can articulate your thoughts. You can articulate my thoughts back to me better than I can. Blah, blah, blah. All that yeah, stuff, which right? Yeah, you can. <laughs> Thank you. So, and it's like, yes, I was aware. I, be, I was made very aware of that skill set, but then it became a blind spot and a hindrance for me because I was like, you know, I probably started feeling consciously the a true brunt of depression at age 14 or 15. So like sophomore year of high school, probably more like 15. And it was a cyclical thing on and off. I like feel like shit. Then I'd be like functional enough or kind of good and then feel like shit. Um, and it was a cycle that persisted from 15 to 25. And in, in that time period, college happened too. And I remember being like, and my dad was clinically depressed for seven years. Um, So I didn't know much about it until after the fact, but I was like, oh, like if you're depressed, you're like depressed and like on medication and it's like a whole thing. And um, I, I spent a long time being like wondering, I'm like, am I depressed or am I not? Am I depressed? Am I not? And then, you know, there's a whole stigma in communities of color. And so that my, you know, dad was, you know, even depressed wasn't something that I found out until later. And I haven't really said anything, you know, publicly about it. And I feel okay saying it now because I doubt any of our family friends would listen to this. But like, it's not a really a thing that, you know, my parents community would want to like, or my parents would want out in their community and things like that. Um, even when I, you know, came out, finally identified as depressed. So it wasn't really something that I could really in depth talk to my mom about either. And it's not because she wanted to like, you know, necessarily be like, buck up, you're not depressed, but it's just, it wasn't, there's not enough education around it, even though my dad was clinically depressed, but I guess his was so bad that he, you know, really needed to go through a a process with it and, you know, go on medication and things like that. And so, 
I just I would talk to friends about it casually and be like, well, you know, or that that they would say that they're depressed or they knew people that were depressed. And I was like, what do you think? Do you think I'm a depressed? And I just didn't know. And I was just like, you know, I feel like I know myself really well. And I'm, you know, again, this really analytical, self-aware person. And I, I think I'm fine. I understand myself and I know my stuff and all of that. And so I thought I was good enough. And this was just kind of like what you were insinuating, uh, my lows and my different feelings and moods were just one part of the human experience and just what it was. And two, which can be so dangerous. I was hyper identified with it. I was like, this is who I am. Maybe this is just who I am. This is what I'm like. And you just normalize it. You know, any sort of trauma, if someone comes up in a sort of trauma or um, just way of being, and that's the only way of being they know that including being in a war torn country or anything, it's just, well, this is what it is. Or if you live in like paradise, you know, where I've gone traveling to places, I'm like, oh my God, the nature is so nice. And you talk to the locals and they're like, it's whatevs, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, we, we normalize whatever it is that is the, our consistent environment. And so I, it got to a place that between 25 to 27, that it no longer was a cycle, but I was just like flat. I was just like dead. I did not care about anything. I did not understand the purpose of existing. I wasn't quite suicidal, though like here and there, the thoughts would kind of cross my mind, but not in a serious way, just more in an existential way. Um, But yeah, I was kind of like, why am I even here? What's the point of life? What's the point of being social with people and having friends? What's the point of anything? I just didn't get anything. I didn't get it. I didn't care about it. I was numb and dead inside for like two years straight. And at that point I was like, okay, something's wrong, you know? And there was some shifts happening with um, my family where my mom had kind of learned about some things in my life that she felt really didn't align with her um, morally and how I was raised. And so she was extremely upset by that and calling me all the time and being like, when are you going to go to the masjid, you know, the mosque? And I was raised Muslim. Um, I I don't identify as it uh, much anymore. So, you know, she was wanting to reform me and calling me multiple times a day. When are you going to go to the masjid? When are you I, like, and I was just like, finally at, I just lost it. And I was like, dude, you spent half my life threatening, you know, to cut me off if I do this or that or that. And I never wanted to be that to y'all. But like, I am having a hard time functioning with you being, you know, on my ass like this. And to be honest, like I'm trying really hard to give a fuck about even existing in life right now. So I can't, I, even if I wanted to, I can't hear what you're saying right now. And I just broke down. And I think that was the defining moment where she was like, okay, shit, I think you're like legit. It freaked her out. And that's when, you know, she even offered some financial sus- assistance with therapy because that's another barrier. Like, oh, maybe I'm depressed, but what the fuck? Like therapy's a zillion dollars, yeah, right? And I put a thing on Facebook because um, we started researching therapists and there was one that was like 50 an hour, and then there was um, other ones that there were more like 150 plus an hour. And I put a thing on Facebook and like, what the fuck? Why are therapists so expensive and so annoying and so prohibitive? And then um, a friend of mine private messaged me on Facebook and she was more of an acquaintance. And she was like, dude, like first she put a comment. She put a comment saying, I really don't like it when people say that because people um we as a society have a tendency to not value mental health the same way that we um, value like our 
other like just general physiological health like going to the doctor and that shit mental health is just as if or if not more important than going to the physician and so she said that she dropped that mic and then she private messaged me and she was like here's my therapist she is 150 an hour and it also saved my life literally so I called this therapist and I had like a 15 minute intro with her and she just talked about how she was really into a holistic approach and um, things like that. And there was just something that immediately felt right about it. She's Palestinian American. um, And so I think she, you know, there was this idea of her relating to me navigating these straddling East and West, these two cultural identities. And I told my mom, I was like, I think this is her. I think this is her. I'd gone to the $50 an hour person and it just, it didn't work. Uh, but I was trying to force it. And my mom was like, this is too expensive. I'm sorry. We can't do it. And then, um, and then she thought about it some more and she's like, no, this is your mental health. Cause my, my family, you know, still is a very, very modest means. And, um, she was like, no, I, I think quality is an important thing in something like this. And if this person is the person you're resonating with, let's do it. So my parents paid half the fees and I paid half the fees and yeah, that's how I got started in therapy. But, one so now retrospectively sharing all that about uh, going back to your question again about how to identify whether there's work to be done or not um at one point when I was talking about oh should I go to therapy am I depressed I was talking to a friend and she said you know what I've been seeing a therapist and I actually feel fine and I think there's value in going to a therapist even when you're well because it's just again another form of health maintenance it's another way to talk about things that you're going through without talking your friend's ears off I think we you know have kind of for the worst to be completely honest I do believe in getting support from your community and all of that and from your peers but I think we are in a culture especially as women to make our friends our therapists and it's just like nah like I'm so off that I'm so off that and I used to be all about that and as you can tell I'm very verbose and talkative and I would fucking like <laughs> like kill my friends you know talking about my shit yeah and I just I feel like there's this this culture of your friends have to be your therapist and you have to unload all your burdens on them. And there was just this friend was basically an advocate for like, here's a way to take the load off of your friends, you know, hearing your shit and all your problems all the time. And two, you're doing it with a freaking professional. So it's actually going to be for something. It's not, it's going to be unbiased. You know, they're not going to have a stake in your life. There's that, that they're going to be professionals and they're trained to listen and it's just a great way for mental health maintenance too, or just health maintenance back going back to my friend on Facebook that was just like, this is as important as going to a physician. So that was such a fascinating perspective when this friend that really identified as like happy and mentally healthy was like, I'm seeing a therapist. I agree with that. And, um, the other funny thing is, you know, after I'd been some years into therapy and I would talk to you know some friends from various points in my life about having gone to therapy and having grown and having been depressed and finally identifying as having been depressed and things like that they were like dude like I had been knowing that you were depressed you know but it's like I I had at least one and maybe a couple friends just being like but I think you were kind of in denial about it you know, and it was probably that part of me that was like, oh, I understand myself and this and that, you know, because I had a conversations with several friends about 
you know, well, have you been depressed and what is it like? And at what point do you decide to do therapy, you know? And I think it was just coming from a place of like, you needed to figure that on your own. But like, uh, like it was quite obvious that you were depressed. Even that friend, um, she actually, so there was was probably more than one person. She was one of them. The one that said that she'd go to therapy even when she was happy. Mm. Um, she was like, yeah, I, I knew that you were depressed and it's so interesting. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about just like, you know, really allowing people to have their way and have their path and not give unsolicited advice and, and really respecting other people's process. So when it comes to identifying whether or not it's time to, you know, dive into the self work, to go to the therapist, go to the, you know, energy worker, whatever, you know, is your bag, one, the other, both, all other things. I think it's always a good time um, because I do view mental, energetic, physical health, all different aspects of our being that need to be um, healed, maintained, tuned up, regardless of where on the spectrum we stand. And then it just comes down to a personal value, you know, and commitment. How do we want to live our lives? How much do we want to integrate different types of healing work um, into our lives? But really anyone can benefit from it at any given point. And I will also say that early on my therapist gave me a statistic. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a majority statistic. Something like 80 plus percent of Americans are just depressed to some degree. And it's and the important thing that I think also keeps a lot of people hesitant about seeking work is it feels like an admission of a problem. And then admission of a problem means admission of some sort of deficiency in our enoughness or worthiness or valueness or our strength, you know, that yeah. b- despite cultural norms, I think there's also just, you know, the human tendency to want to feel like we can will ourselves out of hardship or challenge. And to be quite honest, a lot of mental health stuff is biological. I know that I have, like biological or hereditary chemical imbalances to a degree. I'm also really fortunate that my therapist referred me to a natural doctor. So she um, offers this uh, panel, a test panel with uh, urine and saliva that she sends to a lab. It's called neuroscience and they test things all the way from your cortisol to your serotonin to your epinephrine to just all the different, you know, neurotransmitters. And then that company, Neuroscience, along with a couple others, actually are natural pharmaceutical companies. So they come up with um, pills that are various uh, pharmaceutical grade cocktails of natural ingredients. And so then when a doctor like mine looks at my lab results, she prescribes a natural pill regimen to me. And I've been doing that for the last eight years. And so my therapist in the first six months kind of like walked me out of like the pit of the depression I was in. And then she took, referred me to my natural doctor. And within a month or two of me being on those supplements, I finally was like out of the fog and like felt not depressed for the first time in a long time. So, um, Yeah, but so just going back to the idea of will, like for me, it's like a neurochemical thing on on a lot of levels. I can make that worse with like my lifestyle and certain things that I do, absolutely. 
but it's like we can't will ourselves like that is so like we're so mean to ourselves you know what i mean like we can't will ourselves out of something that like neurochemically is just like at at a certain point like it you can't will yourself out of it and so um yeah i just i feel like mental health energetic health all of that work is something that anyone can benefit from at any given moment and i would challenge people um to consider that what they have created in their mind as their norm and who they are and how just how they are like we were talking about earlier is perhaps who is not who they are you know we are not our sadness we are not just automatically you know melancholy and that's just in the fabric no that's not who any of us are that's just who we've told ourselves who we are is because that's all we've known yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. i'm gonna let that one sink in <laughs> so i want to talk about your creative projects now um because you're doing some amazing things your projects are beautiful Thanks. there's one in particular that stood out to me and it was the testimonies from the table what prompted you to do that and the fact that you handed it to Solange how, like did that happen no like, I didn't get the chance to hand it to you her didn't? no okay. yeah so how did all of this come to be yeah um so I think maybe Instagram I, th- I think Instagram has something to do with it so I am not positive fully on I think what various events synced up to precisely make it happen. But I had cold emailed a couple people at Red Bull about just working with them as a photographer. Then I also had, um, a friend like a more of an acquaintance that was on staff at Red Bull in the culture team. And then, you know, I was on the internet on Instagram. So I don't, I've heard a few different ways of how it was that the people that I cold outreach to, referred me or and then the other day I was talking to my friend at Red Bull and he said he referred so maybe it was a combination of all of these things but for however it happened um somebody on the culture team at Red Bull Music Academy uh was I think given my Instagram um as just somebody to consider to work with and so he he got in touch with me and we had a call and he was just telling me all the different ways that they work with photographers I was like, okay, cool. And he's like, yeah, we'll keep you in mind. You know, right now we're at the Red Bull Music Academy uh, New York Festival, which is going on right now. So this was the last year's version of that. So we've already booked our photographers, but, you know, we'll keep you in mind. Da, da, da. And then as he was like getting ready to hang up with me, he's like, oh, and by the way, um, we have uh, this thing where we work with different cre- creators, what we call creators, on... Um, commissioning them to come up with some sort of creative project of their liking in association with some of our key events over the course of the month. And I had only glanced at the calendar and I saw Solange's Guggenheim performance and I was like, Oh my God, I hope it's that one. And that was the one he was like, I saw your Instagram and I see that you're more than just a photographer that, you know, you write these poems and it seems like you're really into healing and, you know, more like a multidisciplinary approach to things And I feel like your vibe is really in line with what, you know, Solange is doing at this performance in general. It was an interdisciplinary performance. So I'd love for you to pitch us a project um, as kind of a celebration leading up to her event at the Guggenheim. And so I was super stoked. And it definitely felt like an orchestration of the universe because, you know, 
as was then and as is now the case is very much in wanting to pivot into, you know, all these different interests of mine and be more than just a photographer. And so I was, it was just like, it was divine. It was so awesome. And so immediately I just, um, started like not even with any exertion really like just brainstorming, you know, like ideas just started flooding into my head about what this project could be. And I'm, like I said, I'm always really about community and what can be done to bring people together and then bring to, to people together in a way that's being thoughtful and, and uh, contributing towards some sort of change or progress. And then also I'm so into healing. So then how are we coming together, thinking about things, talking about things, moving towards change and progress and healing ourselves? Like, it just, I think it's just, that's just where it went really fast. And I think what would be kind of a no brainer would be like, oh, we'll do a project on women of color. Like I'm a woman of color. Right. And for a split second, it went there and I was like, no, I, it's very clear unabashedly. So that, um, a seat at the table, the album is about expressly about and for black women. And I think that that's okay. And so there was a moment of, you know, like, should I even be the one doing this project? Like I'm not, you know, uh, a black woman. And then I was like, what if the project, uh, was about black women? And then it was like really cool. And then immediately after that, I was uncomfortable. I was like, oh shit, what if people are going to think it's a really weird, a non-black person doing a project about black people, like, and all that that could theoretically, you know, insinuate or, or stir up in a not good way. And then immediately after that, I was like, that's exactly what I want to do it. I want to do it because it's like unexpected. One of the biggest driving forces behind the heart and spirit of that project is it's meant to be it's meant to be kind of a living demonstration of the different ways um, that allyship and advocacy can look like. And I think, and so that's what I mean when I touch about, I, I did that and made a project about black women because it'd be unexpected because it's like, why would a non-black, you know, one of the things, why would a non-black person want to devote an entire project to black people? It's, it's not their struggle right but it is right and so I really believe in the universality of you know human you know challenges you know right. that that black women are oppressed is that we are all oppressed and until you know every single segment and sector um, subgroup of humans you know sub communities all of that are free um, until every single one of us are free none of us are free and I really wanted to demonstrate that. I think that we have a tendency as human beings to really align ourselves with a, a cause or an issue if we can, if we're able to easily inject ourselves into that story, right? So it's like, it's a little bit less motivating, you know, from just a kind of a human nature standpoint to a certain degree to be like oh well that doesn't make sense why would I do a project about you know people that aren't exactly like me you know so that was why I chose to do a project about black women and and then obviously associated with just honoring you know the space that Solange was 
intending to create with the album and really having it be in line of that. Like it doesn't have, let's just make it about all of us. And so it's easy and whatever. And and that like, no, No. it doesn't have to be that. And it can still be really dope, you know, and still really meaningful and still really fun and rewarding, um, for me. And so, and then the actual specifics of the project, it's a book, it's a scrapbook style situation, um, of, portraits and firsthand written narratives by 61 black women. So I'm always like, I've, I'm always, I've always been into the idea of just doing large group, um, photo written narratives. Like I think it's just kind of my vibe, like being someone that's a photographer and a writer, the ways that those, each of those mediums express a little bit differently and bringing them together. And I think when you get quantity into that, it's it allows just naturally for you know hopefully if done with the right intention and thoughtfulness a variety of perspective and so that's why I think I was just like I want to you know do a bunch of people I don't want to do a few photo and writing you know explain that and then I like the idea of thoughtfully containing it in a certain form you know shows or one thing but having it be something that can be held in that way and it's a different way of I think celebrating um something and so I think yeah that all of it just came really naturally and quickly it wasn't a very involved process I thought of it really quickly and then um I would have never been able to tell it looked like you put so much like thought into it which I mean, like, obviously, you no, I did. I put a ton of thoughts to the idea. Oh, no, I, I, I would have never thought the that idea thing came so easy. Yeah. Um, we can sit here forever. <laughs> I don't want to take up all your time because you have so many different things going on. But I just want to know if there was one message that you could get out to the world. What would that message be? <sighs> this is not my phrase. This was actually it's the thing that's coming into my head. So that's what I'm going to say. It's not coming from logic, but it's coming from intuition. Um, this was the name of a campaign that I haven't ever met her before, but the, I think she's the editor in chief and founder of a music website called soul culture, uh, soul culture, uh, dot UK. Her name's Marsha Gosho Oaks. And, um, she had a campaign on her music website called, it's okay to not be okay. And it was a mental health campaign. And for whatever reason that came into my head, it's okay to not be okay. I think especially, you know, I was listening to your chat with Deanna on the way here and um, where I had left in the conversation before we met up was the uh, social media, the Instagram stuff you guys were talking about. And I think especially in the age of social media and especially, especially in the age of social media and thinking about wellness, you know, and I'm quite a bit in the wellness sphere on Instagram. There's a lot of, you know, talking about being well, you know, and there, there is a talking about not being well too, but I just feel like it can often be so curated. Um, I don't know. It's just, I think that, and if you just, extended out to Instagram in general. It's all about, you know, the highlight reel and things like that. And yeah, it's just, it's okay to not be okay. And just the same, it's not, it's not who we are. It's something that's passing through us and moving through us. And it's, it's part of the human experience and everyone experiences it 
in their own different way. And there is a way to move through it. And everyone has a different one. But anytime you feel not okay, that's okay. And to, and to be gentle with ourselves with that. So important. Um, so where can everybody find you Yeah, online? Because obviously we did not get to talk about like even <laughs> a quarter of the things you do. So I really want everybody to go check out what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so my website um, does a pretty decent job of encapsulating uh, my different work. It's saher.co, S-E-H-E-R dot C-O. And then my Instagram is my first name backwards. So it's R-E-H-E-S as in Sam. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Thank you so much for this. Thank you, Kat. I hope you all enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to keep up with Sahar, you can head to sahar.co. We will chat next week. And as always, I'm sending you lots of love. That was this week's episode. I really hope you all enjoyed it. If there's anything you'd like to chat about, send an email to cat at catlantigo.com and I will make sure to get back to you. You can keep up with me in between episodes by following cat.lantigua on Instagram and heading to catlantigua.com to opt in to receive my weekly newsletters. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm sending you all lots of love, light, and good vibes. We'll chat next week.